you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Archaea, grace to you and peace from, our, from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ. We share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us Rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Don. Well, my question as we begin this morning is, why would you get baptised? I mean, why would you get baptised? Why would you profess your faith in Jesus Christ? Why would you become a Christian at all? Why would you do Alpha? to learn more about the Christian faith. Why? I mean, what's in it for you? Why would you become a Christian? Those questions are actually really important questions, and you might realise there's a lot of answers that, that are, are given for those questions of why be a Christian. Well, you might say, because I want to be with God and I want to be successful. I want to be prosperous and I want to be strong. And I want other people to be able to see me with God and go like, I want to be like him or like her. Being a Christian will make me prosperous and successful because I've got God on my side. How can it be any different? Or you, you might say, well, um, I, I'm, I'll be a Christian because I want an insurance policy that will 
cash out in the end when I face death? It's a big world and there are big questions and, and so, I mean, this looks as good an insurance policy as any that when I face the coldness of eternity, I've got an insurance policy so I'll become a Christian, I can cash that in later on. It might be, you go, I want to become a Christian because it's just my parents will be pleased <laughs> or my granny or someone will be pleased that I've become a Christian. It's kind of the easiest way, it's the easiest path to follow. Now, I don't know if those are reasons that you would say, yes, that's why I became a Christian. I hope not, because I think they're all bad reasons uh, to become a Christian. Sorry, I didn't want to offend you if you think that. But this morning, what I want to look with this as we begin this letter of 2 Corinthians is true, good, real reasons why you, if you are a Christian, are a Christian, I hope. And if you're not yet a Christian, why you would want to become a Christian. So we're going to see those reasons in this letter of 2 Corinthians. But before we go deeper and we answer those questions, it's a good preliminary question to ask, well, just who were these Corinthians? What was the city of Corinth like? What's the context of the letter that Paul is writing? Well, let's take the, the second question first. What is the city of Corinth like? Well, the city of Corinth is a city in what is today Greece, and the city of Corinth was a very big deal in a number of ways. It was a big deal in terms of size. Uh, in the ancient world, it was 750,000 people approximately. That it's quite large now, but then that was a very big deal in terms of size. It was a, a big deal in terms of money, ec economics and finances. You can, you can see the map there. Um, the Corinthian is, is, Corinth is on an isthmus. I always feel like I'm, I'm sort of um, got a lisp when I say that, isthmus. I never pronounce it. It's an isthmus. It, as you can see, it means that there was north-south trade land trade, and there was east-west sea trade that you, you, could, you could actually port your, your boats on the east-west. So Corinth was a big deal because it was the meeting place of real trade. There was a lot of money, there was a lot of entrepreneurship, and a lot of growth. But Corinth was also a big deal in terms of sport. Uh, Corinth was one of the sporting capitals of the ancient world. It had a stadium that could seat 30,000, roughly equivalent to our one here in Geelong, isn't it? And um, it had the biggest sporting event in the ancient world after the Olympic Games, second most important one. It was a big deal in terms of religious expression. It was a seaport, there was people from all nations, all sorts of different religions, had a very lively temple scene going on in Corinth. Uh, and more than that, it was a big deal culturally. It was the centre of the arts. Uh, it, was the, it, was, it set the trends of the ancient world, which uh, Emperor Nero, who you would know, loved his culture. Uh, Emperor Nero never went to Athens, but he loved going to Corinth. Corinth was his kind of place, and it was also his kind of place in the party sense. Corinth was the party centre of the ancient world. In fact, if you, um, if you called someone a Corinthian, in the ancient world, what you meant was you are drunk and sexually immoral. So that, that was kind of like entered the language of the ancient world. So that was Corinth. Now, who were these Corinthians, this Corinthian church? Well, they were a church that was planted by Paul in AD 52. We know exactly when he arrived. He arrived in Corinth in AD 52 and he began planting a brand new church. If you're interested in, in what that looked like, you can go to Acts chapter 18 and it's described there what the church plant looked like. 
And the church was successful. It grew rapidly. It was a, it was a, a place where things were happening in that Corinthian church. It was alive. The power of the Holy Spirit was moving, it was growing, but it was the church that caused Paul more grief than any other church that he planted. It was a church that broke his heart. Uh, when you re- read Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, which is our, it's actually his second letter, but it's the first letter that we have in the Bible, 1 Corinthians, you see that Paul is writing to this church and This church has become just like the city of Corinth itself. They were competitive, they had cliques, um, they were full of pride and boasting, and they were sexually immoral. They become just like the church in which they resided. Now, in the beginning of this series, 2 Corinthians, this is a letter that Paul writes to this church in Corinth, but it's a It's a letter that breaks his heart because he's writing to Corinth because he himself is under personal attack. It's personal. Um, It seems that there was a new preaching crew in town with a new gospel, new good news. And this preaching crew was saying that they were following Jesus and they were coming and they called themselves the, the super apostles. And they were preaching good news about being a Christian as having lots of power and lots of success, and lots of, and lots of people want to see you, and, and that's, that's what being a Christian is. And, and as these guys were preaching, these super apostles, the Corinthians were looking at Paul and comparing them to the super apostle. And we know from church history that Paul was kind of short. He had a bald head and a big nose. And if you're a guy and that's you, we love you. Uh, but, but the Corinthian church was saying, like, short nose, bald-headed Paul, and, and he suffers all the time. He's always suffering, and you compare him to the super apostles, well, who are you going to choose? And so many in that church were were saying, these guys are the true representatives of what it is to be a Christian, not Paul. And if Paul is, is so weak and suffering, well, why would you be a Christian at all? What's the point? There's enough suffering in the world without getting more for becoming a Christian. So... This morning, as the letter opens, Paul begins his defense. He's writing to this church that he loves and is breaking his heart. And he begins with three big headlines, which he believes they need to know, and the headlines that we need to know too. So let's look at the first one. Suffering, Paul says, is normal. In uh, verses 3 to 7, Paul uses the word comfort which presupposes suffering, 10 times. He uses the word trouble three times. He uses the word suffering itself four times. 17 times in five verses, Paul speaks and refers and references suffering. And this was the complete opposite to what the super apostles were preaching. They were saying, you don't you don't get suffering as a Christian, you get power and you get success and you get prosperity and look at Paul and Paul starts off by saying, no, you get suffering. Now, I know which gospel is more appealing personally, don't you? Do you like suffering? If you say yes, I've got serious concerns about you. No one likes suffering. I don't like suffering and I want 
to be a part of a church that doesn't suffer, but has power and prosperity and success as its keynotes, don't you? And I know that's true of my heart because I play tennis at the local tennis club each week. And these are a great bunch of people. They're fantastic. Um, I love the guys and girls at the tennis club. They're just, just lovely people. And sometimes during the set and sometimes after it, you know, they'll say, oh, what do you do? And I, I shared this the other week. I said I was a pastor and, and the guy I was playing against thought I said plaster. And he was really excited about that. Um, but less excited when he heard I was a pastor. But they're just lovely people. And, and they ask me questions. So, so what's your church like? And at this point, my heart gets exposed because I, want, I like them and I want them to like our church, so I, I, I want to say stuff like, well, we have a, a world-famous medical scientist at our church, and we do, by the way, you probably don't know who I'm talking about, uh, but we do, um, and so we've got a, a world-famous medical scientist. We have got some of the best comms and graphics of anything you'll ever see. Um, we have got so many young, dynamic people and successful businessmen, men and women, all sorts of things. Like, you know, and we're a growing, dynamic church. You know, like we started with just a small group and now we've, we've grown to the, over 400 on a Sunday and we've planted two other churches and this is, we're good. I want them to experience, I want them to come to church and I want to, I want to say this is the carrot because you're going to see a church that's powerful and successful and prosperous. You know, there's a couple of problems with that. First one is me. I'm a problem with that, and I'll tell you why. Uh, a couple of weeks after joining the tennis club, I had a little incident. Um, that little incident, I would love to say occurred because I was rescuing an old lady on the street and I dived to save her, or even something spectacular like I was rock climbing and I fell. But I, was, I stood in a wheelie bin and the wheelie bin tipped over and I broke both my wrists. So two weeks after joining the tennis club, I showed up with plaster in both, on both my wrists for the next six weeks. Right. But if that, that was only the warm-up act, because a little time later, after getting the plaster off, I was on the court in front of the clubhouse where everybody is watching, playing a match, and I managed to trip over my own feet and break my leg in front of everybody. Now, that was kind of embarrassing. It was certainly painful. I was certainly suffering for everyone to see. It's like, yes, come and join our church and be like Andrew. You know, like, yeah, that's going to be very compelling. That's the first problem is me. But the second problem is you. It's you and it's me, isn't it? Because I'm not the only one who suffers. Little things like that and much deeper suffering. And I know many of you personally, and I know some of your stories, and I know that you also suffer. And when Paul comes to this question, he stresses that suffering is not the exception, it's the norm. Um, I often think that we, we think that as Christians, suffering is like a holiday. It's something that, it's not the normal nine to five routine. A holiday happens now and again, it's a special thing and then it, it goes away. Suffering is a little bit like that. It's negative, but it's a, it doesn't last long. But as a church who teaches through the Bible... And we look at we work through the Bible and the teaching. Let me tell you that that suffering comes up with the, the regular monotony of Monday morning and a nine to five. Letter after letter, Old Testament and New Testament speaks about suffering. You can't miss it if you read the actual scriptures. Suffering is there all the time. And and once again it comes up in Second Corinthians. Verse four. We are afflicted. Paul says, 
You super apostles are accusing us of suffering. Well, here it is. Yep. We are afflicted. We're suffering, he says. And his point is that the super apostles might not suffer, but Paul is, and Jesus did too. Notice that, verse 5. We share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. Paul says, yes, we suffer and we share in the sufferings of Christ. You're a Christian, you're a Christ one. Well, your leader suffered. Paul says, and we share abundantly in the same sufferings. There's, there's a solidarity, Paul says, between Jesus' suffering and between his suffering, between, between the suffering of the people of Christ and Christ. There's a connection here. Uh, Peter, the apostle, will later say, rejoice as you experience the sufferings of Christ. Now, <laughs> this may not be very impressive to the people in my tennis club, that becoming a Christian means that you will suffer, and that's normal, not exceptional, and, and maybe the question is, well, why would you become a Christian then? If there's enough suffering in the world without getting more, so why become a Christian? What's the point? And that's when we move to the second thing. Suffering is normal, but secondly, suffering means comfort for us. Listen to verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction. God is the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort. Now, here's a question for you. Um, do you associate Father's with comfort? Uh, it's a bit of a loaded question, and I'm going to get stereotypical and say that I suggest that you probably don't. And in my family, let's, let's have the scenario of the bike ride. And we got five kids, and, you know, pretty much, I don't reckon we had a bike ride for a long time where someone didn't have an accident. You know, someone comes off their bike and the knees are skinned and, you know, and, 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 like, and I show up on the scene, turn the bike around and, you know, get off and have a look and I'm like, um, oh, you'll be fine. Yeah, I can see the bone sticking out of your knee, but let's get a band-aid on that. Get on the bike, don't be a sook, let's keep going, you'll be fine. And, and I wonder why the kids don't come for me to comfort. But where, where do you go if you're a little kid and you fall off your bike? Where do you go for comfort? Do you go to dad? Maybe. You go to mum, don't you? You go to the mum because your mum will get down beside you and, and she will empathise with your suffering and she'll put her arm around you and it's soft and, and she'll lean in and she'll wipe away the tears from your eyes and then she'll do that thing that only mums can do which makes it all right, everything good, she'll give you that kiss. And then you're, back, you're right to get on the bike and keep going. Now, maybe when you think of God as the father of all comfort, you don't quite get that image. But let me, let me take you... Let's go old school, let's go Isaiah chapter 66 in the Old Testament, verse 13. Listen to this. As a mother comforts her children, so I will comfort you, says the Lord your God. Notice that. God the Father Almighty, the creator of the universe says, you want to know how I respond to you and your suffering? I'm like a mum with little kids. That's what I am like. When you fall off the bike of life, 
I'm there to comfort you. And what does my comfort look like? God the Father getting down on one knee, reaching around with his arms, wiping the tears away from your eyes. Now, the truth is that one day, the promise of that comfort will be fulfilled. And so you say, why be a Christian, Bill? Because because one day, I'm going to receive comfort like that from my heavenly Father. And you say, well, isn't that what we'll all receive? Well, if you were an atheist here this morning, what comfort is there for you? There was a comfort of my mind. I'm just dealing with the whole cold facts of the universe and I'm going to die and that's it. And, And when I go through pain and suffering, I'm just here by myself. It's a random chance. I'm not here. There's no purpose. There's no other being. So everything depends on me. And I don't know, that's not comforting to me. And maybe it's another religion, and, and other religions speak about you're earning your way to God. I've, I've got some friends, who, and I've interacted in the past with, with friends who are, are Muslims. I've said to them, so, so what's the comfort at the end of life for you? And one young Muslim man I spoke to said, it's terrifying. I'll know I'll stand before Allah, and my deeds will be weighed. I said, well, what's going to happen at that moment? He said, I don't know. I'm terrified about it. No comfort there. But then you see the comfort that's promised to the believer in Jesus. In your suffering, there there comes a comfort of God, like Revelation 21, verse 3. This speaks about heaven. Why be a Christian? Listen to this. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. You notice that? Why be a Christian? Because one day, God the Father Almighty will get down on his knee beside you, and he will wipe away the tears forever. They'll be done, they'll be finished, they'll be gone. What an incredible comfort that will be. Uh, C.S. Lewis speaks about that moment And he says that such will be the comfort in that moment of God, that it will flow backwards. It'll flow backwards into all of our experiences and suffering on this earth, and it will transform it all. It'll wash away the darkness and the grief and the pain and the sorrow, and it will actually work backwards into all of our experience, the comfort of God. It'll be sweet and wonderful and beautiful. J.R. Tolkien talked about it'll be like when everything sad comes untrue. If you're a Christian, why be a Christian? Because in your suffering, the comfort of God will one day come richly, but, but that's not actually what Paul is speaking about here, as good as it is. Ask yourself, what tense is verse 5? Is it future? For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. That's present tense, not future. It's present tense. Uh, Paul says, as we suffer abundantly with Christ, through Christ, so we share abundantly in Christ's comfort to us right now, through Jesus. Anyone seen The Chosen? Yeah. Oh, there should be way more hands than that. 
Chosen is just so good. But in, in one of the seats, it makes me cry every single time. Arabella is always looking across the lounge to see when I'm going to cry. But uh, the most recent one, it's, and it, it, you know, it, it imagines the backstory. It's not the Bible. But in one of these things, there's one of Jesus' disciples called Thaddeus, and, and he's, he, he's, he can't work out why Jesus hasn't healed him of his physical diseases, when he's healed so many people around. And there's this moment of interaction with Jesus where he comes and he says, he's crying, he says, why? Why don't you heal me? And in that moment, Jesus says to him, you will be healed, that is. There come a time when you, you will be healed. He's like, I know, but why not now? And then the beautiful thing in, the, in that moment as Jesus comes alongside him is like, I found myself, this is why I cried, I think like, he doesn't need to be healed now, he's got Jesus. He's got the comfort of the Son of Man to him, the sweet comfort that comes in his suffering. And the super apostles said, oh, we don't suffer, we're successful and, and we've got things together. And Paul says, yeah, well, I suffer and Christians will suffer, and you guys are missing out. You're looking so good, and you're so strong, but you're missing out. You're missing out. You're not suffering, so you're missing out on the comfort that comes with that. You're missing out on the intimacy and the presence of Jesus Christ in your heart, in your life. That's his point in verse 8, when they're saying, oh, you're just suffer." Yeah, what sort of testimony is that to Christian ministry when you suffer? And Paul says, verse 8, you're exactly right. For we don't, we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. Yep, absolutely. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. When he says utterly burdened, it was the image you would use of a, of a boat that was overloaded and was sinking or a bridge that was overloaded and was collapsing. He said, you want to know what suffering? Yeah, that's us. He goes on then in verse 9. He says, indeed, we felt we'd, re- we'd received the sentence of death. Paul says, suffering, yes, like I was, I was about to be executed. Then he says, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. You see what he's saying? You super apostles, you don't suffer, you think Christianity is all about this life of, of power and success and prosperity. You, you know what happens to Christians when we get powerful and prosperous and successful? You know what happens to churches who get powerful and prosperous and successful? We start to trust in ourselves and we say the comforts that we get from these things, that's all we need. It's what money does, isn't it? When money abounds, you and I, our hearts quickly go, well, that can provide us so many wonderful comforts. Or it might be when relationships are sweet, oh, I've got him or her. And when I'm with them, I just, I just feel so accepted and welcomed and loved. And You know what? Those lesser comforts are not bad things, but when we have them, we so easily forget the real comfort there is in Christ, and we tell ourselves that those comforts are what matters, and Paul says, that's why it happened to us, that we wouldn't depend on ourselves and those comforts, but on Jesus, Christ, God who raises the dead like he raised Jesus. The comfort that comes in those sufferings is something that you cannot get if you don't suffer, if you somehow avoid the path of Christian discipleship, you're not going to get the comfort either. Paul's saying, you accuse me of suffering. Here I am. 
That's been my experience of my life, my own ministry. Things go well, I got this. When things are hard, it feels everything's black. Then the comforts of Jesus Christ are very sweet. I find it's all I need. Have you experienced that? You know, the comforts of Jesus Christ in your suffering. Let's be clear though, suffering is not intrinsically good for the Christian. There'll come a day when Jesus will say enough, done, gone. But now on this side of eternity, he uses your suffering and my suffering as a doorway to go through and receive the comfort that comes from Jesus in it. So we see suffering is normal. God comforts us in our suffering. Now, thirdly and finally, our comfort in suffering means comfort for others. Verse 4, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. See what he's saying? It's not all about you. You suffer, and in your suffering, the comforts of Jesus Christ pour into your life. But it's not like that's a, a big damn wall, that your heart is a big damn wall, and, and you're just soaking up the flow of God's comfort. No, Paul says the reason, that your suffering, you receive the, the flood of God's comfort, and then break the walls of the dam. And let the water flow out. The water of comfort flow to others who are thirsty and need it. Your, your comfort doesn't terminate on you and me. It flows through us to others. And there is such a powerful comfort that comes from someone who has suffered and receives the comfort of Christ. There's, one, there's a number of examples I can think of. One of them uh, is... From my brother Nathan, um, he's a, we, we, at the end of this service, you're going to hear about Enabled, the wonderful mission that we support that works up in the north of India, uh, working primarily with people suffering with disabilities, no NDIS up there. And as a church, we support that ministry, twelve dollars to $15,000 every year. And this week on Saturday, there's going to be a gathering. We've got people from that mission from India who'll be there on Sunday. They'll be sharing with us this coming week. It's, look forward to that. But my brother Nathan worked in that area of disability for quite a period of time. And he's actually here this morning. But he's a, he, he's, he's a wonderfully compassionate guy. A mum who's also here would tell you that, unlike me when we were young. He, he, he has a natural compassion. And, and I'm sure he was very good at comforting people from above who were suffering the, with disability or with children with disability. But then there came a day when my niece was born with serious disability. That changes things. Suddenly it's not comforting from above, like, oh, you must be, this must be really difficult for you. I don't really know what you're experiencing, but I'm, I'm reaching out to you in compassion to coming alongside. I know. I know what it is. So I can comfort you with the comfort I've received from Jesus Christ. Do you know how much more powerful that is? 
It's not just in areas like that. I've heard, I heard the story, the illustration of two seasoned older preachers listening to a fiery young preacher expound the gospel. And he was on fire, and he was reading faithfully, expositing the, the scriptures and getting to the hearts of people and proclaiming the truth. And one of, the, one of the old seasoned pastors says, wow, he can preach. And the other said, amen, he can preach. And one day when he suffers, when he's really suffered, his words will have real power. There's a truth in that, not just in ministry and in mission, but in your life as well. There are some of you who, who struggle in a marriage where the love is long gone. The covenant's still there, but the love is gone. And in that, that, that difficulty, you will receive the comfort of Christ. And how different it will be when you speak to someone else, maybe not a believer who's struggling in a, in a marriage relationship, how different it is when you come alongside and you say, I know what you experience. Let me tell you, about the comfort that I've received from Jesus. It's true physically. There are some of us here who suffer physical, chronic pain, and we long for Jesus to take that pain away, and we should pray that Jesus will take away. Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. And the pain we experience, that brings us down. And so we meet someone who is suffering pain, and instead of saying, like, look at, look at my healthy body, oh, yeah, I know, I, I can feel for you. Have you tried this new diet or what about this? Like instead, we can speak words of tenderness because we've been there. It's true of mental, isn't it? Depression, anxiety, the blackness which, which Christians can experience like everybody else. You've never experienced those things. I just think, think happy thoughts and you're fine. Like why be so sad? Smile. It's a happy day. You know, like it, it's so shallow until we've actually been there. And we've been in the darkness and we've received the comfort of the light of Christ. His presence alongside us is quite different the way we relate to other people. There's a tenderness and a gentleness that's just not there before. Henry Nguyen, he said this, the great illusion of leadership is to think that man can be led out of the desert by someone who has never been there. Our lives are filled with examples which tell us that leadership asks for understanding and that understanding requires sharing. God's comfort in your life pours out into your life, not so that it can terminate with you, but so that you will be a vessel for the comforting of other people. That His wonderful comfort pouring into you would flow into the lives of others. And this is not just true as individuals. This is true for us as a church. You might uh, know that one of the goals, one of the focus areas we had this year, it's a very big focus area, it was this, it was make the church, out there, our church, through care, contribution and community. And under the care one, this, this was how we want to do it this year, to design and implement an effective pastoral care system. We want to care for one another well. We want to have a pastoral care system so that, that everybody can be cared for in our church. And, and the good news is, Don has been uh, taking the lead on that, and it's close. We're nearly there. 
And we'll be launching it in the next couple of weeks, so stay tuned. There's ways that you'll be able to be involved in that. And that pastoral care system of staff and pastors caring for the wider community is, is a good thing. It's part of what, what being a Christian is, is the comfort that we receive flows into the hearts of others. But let me tell you, it's never going to be enough. A church of 600 people, and we've got a small staff team caring for everybody, intimately, it's not possible. Genuine Christian comfort in suffering, it doesn't come through just one or two people, it comes through you, every single one of you. If you're a Christian here this morning, you are part of the pastoral care team because God's comfort is poured into your life and then it is your responsibility, your obligation and your joy to reach out to those around you with, with the comfort that you've received. It doesn't take a degree in pastoral counselling. It takes a like, how are you doing? What's this week been like? That's hard. Hey, can we get together and talk? Can I pray? That's pastoral care, right? It's all of us caring for all of us. That's what the Bible teaches us. It's a whole of church thing. And, and the key to this kind of pastoral care, obviously, but I've got to say it anyway, is relationships, isn't it? Now, I love the coffee after church. I've already had one after the first service. And I had some great conversations. And I pray that you'll stick around after the service, watch Arabella be baptized, have some coffee and tea, some conversation. It's really, that's part of community. It's part of discipleship. The, the, the bigger gatherings of the church are really important. And the, the, the smaller gatherings that happen afterwards are important too. But if you think you're going to have deep, intimate relationships from one cup of coffee, that's a big ask. You can start relationships, you can check in on somebody who you, you already know because you already have a relationship with them, but it's just in a church of our size with four different services, the person that you're sitting next to, you may not see for the next month, even if you come every week to church, they may be at a different service, whatever. So intimate caring for one another as we receive the love of Christ and let it flow out to others, it has to happen in relationships. Well, how do I have those relationships? I'm so glad you asked. What a great question. And this is my explanation for why, and I know this is true, those of you who are regulars feel, why do we always have to speak about gospel communities? Every week, there's a thing, oh, here's a connect place for gospel community. If you're not yet in a small group, we'd love to see you. They're, they're making the big church, small church. You know all that stuff. Why do we keep doing it? Because that is our way of, of facilitating you being the church, right? We're facilitating it. There's other ways you can do it if you're really disciplined and engaged, but here's an easy way that we help organize for you. Some people think that gospel community is about, oh no, we're just, we're just going deeper into 2 Corinthians in our small groups. And at the end of it, it'll be a success for our gospel community if we can tick that we now know more about 2 Corinthians. No. That's good, by the way. I want you to know more about the Bible, but for me, I'm happy if... A gospel community doesn't really know any more about the Bible at the end of the session than did at the start. I hope that they will, but if, if they don't, but yet they have comforted one another with the caring comfort they've received from Jesus Christ, that's a win. Deep, intimate relationships. The comfort you receive from Jesus Christ flowing out to others. 
Well, let me conclude. This letter of 2 Corinthians is very painful for Paul to write. In these weeks ahead, he's going to bear his heart. There's strong language. There's confrontation. Paul's heart is breaking as he writes this letter because he knows that what the super apostles are professing about Christianity is a lie. And if they are unchallenged, they will end up with a Christianity without Christ. Let me tell you, there's versions of that going around today too. And Christianity without Christ that's powerful and successful and prosperous but doesn't understand what following Jesus Christ really means. So Paul confronts it and he he makes it clear as he starts his defense against these guys by saying, I'm suffering. You accuse me of suffering? It's true. So why be a Christian? Because the God of all mercies and the God of all comfort comes to us when we suffer. And he provides the most wonderful comfort to us. And the more we suffer in one sense, the more abundantly the comfort of Christ flows into our heart. If you're suffering this morning, hear that. This is normal. And you can expect God to get on one knee beside you and reach out and wipe those tears away. You can expect the intimacy of Jesus Christ in a way you haven't received it or maybe you've forgotten what it's like to come again. And one day, God will end suffering. He will comfort us one more final time, wipe the tears away for the last time. But until then, He leaves us in this world to walk with a limp. Not super impressive and wonderful and come and see our church because we're the best church in town. But instead, to walk with a limp, real people, walking a real journey together with a real saviour who even in our sufferings brings us the sweetest comfort. That's how Paul begins, 2 Corinthians. You can see why we need it. I'm going to close verse 3 again. Close your eyes, listen to this, then I'll pray. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Father, we come to you this morning and we we acknowledge that we are sucked in by a desire to be successful and powerful and strong. We acknowledge that when we suffer, We often feel that you've abandoned us or that our faith has failed us. But we come this morning and we thank you for the words of life spoken through the Apostle Paul by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that suffering's normal. But Lord, that in our suffering, whatever it might look like, we can receive the comfort of the presence of Jesus Christ. And so Lord, we pray that as a church, this would be true for us that we'd be real, that we would be a church where people are connected and where we love each other and we comfort others as we are comforted. So Father, we pray for our gospel communities and for their leaders and for their life. We pray, Lord Jesus, that as we have heard your word, we would go out this, this morning thankful 
that we know the God of all comfort and the Father of all mercies. It's in the name of his Son and our Lord Jesus Christ that we pray this. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.